I titled this morning's uh, message, The Effective, Fervent Prayer of a Righteous Man. I believe that there's two areas that quite often Christians struggle with. One of those areas is the area of sharing our faith. The other area is prayer. And I think that they're the two areas that accomplish the most. But we find that in our own self at times that there's a struggle when it comes to being diligent in our prayers. Sometimes our perspective on prayer is off. We get it wrong. We, we don't really understand prayer and how it really works. Sometimes we lack faith in the area of prayer and so we shrink back from it because we're not quite sure that God even hears our prayers. One person said, there is no inherent power in prayer itself, but rather that prayer links us to God who is all-powerful. And I think we need to keep that in mind. It's not just how you pray, it's not the words that you say per se, but we pray to a God that is all-powerful, who is able to do what we can't do. How many of you pray? Raise your hand. Hopefully all of us are raising our hands. How many of you believe in it? And how many of you need to do more of it? Amen. The hands went up all over. We need to do more of it. We need to be diligent in it. We need to persevere in it as Christians. You see, prayer, it's an act of obedience for the child of God. God doesn't really give us an option. He wants us and commands us, really, we're to pray. And prayer, if I were just to say, what is prayer? It's just simply talking to God. Let's keep it simple. Prayer is having a dialogue with God. It's speaking to God and hearing from God also. Some people, and I believe we have those in our church here, they're specifically called to a ministry of prayer. And and many of us are the recipients of that. There are people in this church that pray diligently for the people here in this church. And others... And they have this ministry of prayer in this body. And I'm so thankful. James, the writer of this epistle, this letter, who was the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, he was nicknamed by the early church, Camel Knees. Have you ever seen the knees of a camel? They get down on their knees quite a bit. And they have this thick callus on their knees. Here's James, a mere man, being recognized by the church as a man that prayed. Some say that James was so slow and hard of believing that his brother Jesus could be the Christ, that after he was brought to believe, he never got off of his knees. 
He was a man of prayer. We're going to look what he says even in the ending of this letter, what he says about prayer. We started in verse 16 at the end of it this morning, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We started, James, actually in chapter 1, verse 6. And James, in this first chapter, he writes that we're to talk to God. We're to ask in faith as Christians. When we enter into prayer, we're to ask in faith and we're to do it without doubting. And he goes on to say, for he who doubts is like the wave of a sea driven and tossed by the wind. You see, God loves it. When we just come before Him with reckless faith in Him. God, I can't even see how You could work this out. I, I, there's no way this can be done, but God, I know that You're able. And I believe. And God loves it when we well up in faith and our trust and our confidence in Him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I shared last week that James speaks of prayer in these, these closing words of this letter. He, he speaks about praying seven times in six verses. This whole section really has an emphasis upon prayer. James says from verse 13 to 18, he says, pray yourself, Christians, I'll add. And also, get prayer from others. Pray in faith. Pray for one another. Pray effectively. Pray fervently. Pray earnestly. And keep on praying. You see, we're, we're all exhorted here in this text this morning, to to pray, to pray for one another, to receive prayer. You see, prayer is something that we grow in as Christians. We get saved, we give our life to Christ, we begin to grow. And our prayer life should be growing with it. We should be learning more what it means to pray and what God can accomplish through prayer. We come to this understanding as we grow in our faith that God does miraculous and impossible things through prayer. As we walk close to God, we find ourselves praying more according to the will of God than our own will. That's a growth. It's something that we grow in. When we pray, we take steps of faith. As we pray, we put our faith in the promises of God's Word. He shows us things in His Word. We pray those things even in our prayers. And we're trusting that God is going to do what He has said. We know that through prayer that God can move mountains. He can open doors of opportunity. He can give us deliverance from our enemies. You see, prayer is part of the Christian's arsenal. As you put on the armor of God, we're also to take up prayer and to pray. Through prayer, 
We get our, li- our will in line with God's will. As you grow in your relationship with the Lord, you begin to learn more and more the will of God and it will change your prayer life. How you pray. You come to realize that there is nothing impossible for God. Jesus said in John 14, 14, and every word is important that He says here. He says, if you ask anything, In my name. What's he say? I will do it. Anything. In my name. I will do it. That sounds pretty incredible promise. That's something that we can stand upon. God, I want to know your will in this situation. And as I pray, and as I know that I'm praying you, I'm going to pray it to the end, believing God that you are able and that you will do it. Have you ever put God to the test in that way? God, I'm standing on what I know. And I'm trusting and I'm believing that You're going to do it. God, You said You would do it in Your Word. And I'm going to stand on what I know. Paul says in Ephesians 6.18, after he talked about putting on the armor of God, he says, praying always with all prayer, and that all prayer is all kinds of prayer. Different ways that we pray for different situations, for people, intercessory prayers, all sorts of prayers, with all prayers and supplication in the Spirit. Paul says, then be watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. Have you ever read Paul? And how many times Paul says, I'm praying for you? I'm praying for this church. I'm praying for this individual. I think he just had, it was bouncing around in his head every single day, lifting up prayers for his brothers, for the saints over here, for the church over here. Paul was a prayer warrior and he did as he went. And it's the same thing we can do. You can be praying as you're driving down the road. You can be praying as you're sitting there in your office. You can be praying in any place if you have a heart of prayer before God. James, in our text this morning, he says in essence to the church, do you remember Elijah the prophet? He was a man of prayer. Have you read about Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament? His name actually means, my God is Jehovah. His name occurs 100 times in the Bible. 30 of those times are found in the New Testament. And the last time that we see Elijah's name mentioned is in our text this morning in verse 17. Look at your Bibles, James 5.17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. The first mention that we have in our Bibles of the prophet Elijah is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. 
The Lord instructed Elijah to proclaim a drought over the land of Samaria. And it was because there was this wicked king Ahab and his wife Jezebel who were reigning over the northern kingdom of Israel at the time. His wife, really led by his wife, and then also of Ahab, they led the children of Israel into the worship of the false gods of Baal. It was during this time that God used Elijah in a contest with the false prophets of Baal. It was the sin of King Ahab that had brought the drought upon the land. James makes the point in our text this morning that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours so that we ourselves would not limit what God can do through you. He was a mere man like you and I. And we also shouldn't limit what God can do through your prayers. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 1.26, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's speaking about you and me. The foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. He's speaking about you and I. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Everything that God does through me, everything that God does through you, to the praise and the glory of God, that any one of us can do anything for the Lord. God gets all the glory. God did this. God used Elijah to do what he wanted to do. He used a mere man. God wants to use you and I. Just mere human beings. Just vessels of clay is all we are. And He loves us. And He wants to use us. Elijah, he prayed that it would not rain on the land for three years and six months. Elijah then prayed again after three and a half years and we're told that the heavens gave rain and the earth once again brought forth fruit. You see, when we pray in faith, we stand upon the truths and the promises of God. When we are praying believing that all things are possible, I mean, I know there's times that I have prayed where I've questioned even if I'm believing what I'm praying. And I'm sure you have also. But the Bible tells us that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. 
All things are possible through Him. We read on in 1 Kings, in, in chapter 17, verse 1, it says this of Elijah. He was a Tishbite. He was of the inhabitants of Gilead. And he came and he said to Ahab, King Ahab, this is what he said, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Pretty bold. Pretty confident as he stood there before King Ahab. We know that he had to take off from there and he had the ravens that fed him and took care of those provisions for Elijah as he was there at the brook. And then at the end of the three and a half years, the Lord sends Elijah to the city of Zarephath where he was directed to a widow of whom God would provide for him. And the widow said to Elijah, there was famine in the land at that time, three and a half years of no rain, the drought, there was famine. And she says to Elijah, I don't even have enough food for my own family. We read in 1 Kings 17, 13, and Elijah said to her, this widow, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and your son. And then he says this, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. He said that with confidence. He said that believing in His God. That God had sent Him here, that this occasion arose, and God spoke through Elijah. And so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days, we're told. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which He had spoken by Elijah. God did that. And then in 1 Kings 18.1 we read, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go present yourself to Ahab. Go back to Ahab. And I will send rain on the earth. When did the rain come? Three and a half years later. What did God say would happen? That it would be dry for three and a half years? What God says He means. When God tells us to do something, even if it doesn't make sense, in faith, God help me to be obedient to what You've called me to do. We read in 1 Kings 18.39 that it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, and he came there to pray, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that You are God in Israel and I am Your servant, and that I have done all these things at Your Word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that You are the Lord God, 
And that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Do you see what God is wanting to do? He's using a family. He's wanting His own people, Israel, to turn their hearts and to return to the Lord because they had strayed. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering or burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. This is a miracle of God taking place. And when all of the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and he executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for, it, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. And so Ahab, he went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, Mount Carmel, and then he bowed down on the ground and he put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, Go up now and look towards the sea. And so he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. Has that ever happened in your prayer? He went up and he said, I don't see anything. I don't see a cloud in the sky. I see nothing. And he told him seven more times. Seven times he says, go again to his servant. He was persistent. And then it came to pass the seventh time. That he said, there's a cloud. It's as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And, and sometimes we think, you know what? Where is God in all this? When is He going to come? When is He going to rescue? When is He going to do something? And so he said, go up. Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and he went to Jezreel. When God tells us to do something, He's going to accomplish it. Just trust that. When God tells us to do something, just be obedient to what He's called you to do. God will be faithful. Again, we read in James in our text in chapter 5, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Our example, Elijah. What an amazing man he was. But he was just a mere man. He was an amazing man, but he had a nature like ours. He had the same frail flesh that we all have. He too was just an earthen vessel. 
He was a man that was subject to the like weaknesses and the infirmities that we experience in our flesh. He was nothing special above and beyond who we are. He was an instrument of God and God wants to use you even in your prayers as an instrument of His hand. So what is it that made this man, Elijah, so notable to James that he would use him for the example for you and I? The first thing I think we could see is that Elijah was a man who prayed. Like James himself, he was a man who prayed. He believed in his God. He believed that his God was the creator of the heavens and the earth. There was no question in Elijah's mind of who God was. You see, the more we come to understand who our God is, the more you'll pray with just in faith, believing you know, nothing is impossible for our God. Listen to what E.M. Bounds wrote. This is one of his quotes. What the church needs today is not more or better machinery, not new organizations or more and novel methods. She needs men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. Great quote. Great reminder. But Elijah was a man whose nature was just like ours. And here he is, becoming an example to us, of answered prayer. What God can do. Here's another quote. Do not rest in our day too much on the arm of flesh. Cannot the same wonders be done now as, as, be done now as of old? Do not the eyes of the Lord still run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those who put their trust in Him? Oh, that God would give me more practical faith in Him. Where now is the Lord God of Elijah? He is waiting for Elijah to call on Him. You see, our example that we read in James is, are you that Elijah? Are you the one that God might call upon to do something great and powerful? We're no different than Elijah. We're just earthen vessels that God can use. He's waiting for Elijah to call on him. I wrote, the problem with many of the prayers of God's saints is that they lack the faith to believe that God is even able to accomplish what they ask of Him. 
And we do quite often. At least I know I do. Are you able, God? Can you do this, God? Can you really fix this? And how many times have we stopped praying because we gave up? You see, you can tell how popular a church is by who comes on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular a pastor or an evangelist is by who comes on Sunday night. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meeting. We need to pray. We're living in desperate days as a church for such a time as this. And the church is called to pray. We want to meet the Lord in prayer. We're meeting here on Wednesday night for a prayer meeting. Praise and prayer. And you're all invited. We're in a room down there. We doubled since Vision Sunday, that group. I hope to see it double again to where we move it from the room back here because we don't have the room down the hall. Let's look at what made Elijah's prayers so powerful. Elijah's prayers were the prayers of a righteous man. Not a perfect man, but a righteous man. We gather that from verse 16, that Elijah was a righteous man and and his prayers availed much. To avail much means in its working as he prayed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much in its working and what it does and what it can accomplish. But what about those who pray, who are walking in deliberate sin and deliberate compromise in their walk with the Lord? Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is His ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. Sin separates man from God. How about a child of God? What will hamper our sin? If we have sin, what will hamper God hearing us? If we have unconfessed, compromised walk with the Lord, I believe it will hamper our prayer life. He's looking for that prayer of repentance before He's wanting to meet the need of our petitions. David wrote in Psalm 66, verse 18, He warned, actually, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And in Proverbs 28.9, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer, is an abomination. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.7, speaking to us husbands, raise your hand if you're a husband here, Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, 
and as being heirs together of the grace of life. And then he adds this on to the end of that, that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, He doesn't say that to the wife, he says it to the husband. That we are to minister to our wives, give honor to our wives as a weaker vessel, that your prayers wouldn't be hindered? Whoa. How'd you like to think that you didn't do what you were called to do and your prayers were just hitting the ceiling for most of the days of your Christian walk? You see, God wants us to do things right. We, we, we need to walk righteously before the Lord, upright before the Lord. And then this communion, this fellowship, this, this one-way opening up to the Lord in prayer, God has an open ear. We're praying more in accordance with His will. And things are getting done. God is working through our prayers. The one who is walking righteous is the one who is careful to avoid faults. He is careful in the way that he walks. He's wanting and desiring to walk upright before his Lord. The other thing that we see of Elijah is that his prayers were effectual. They were effective. They, and by definition, they were intense and fervent. What does that look like? Intense and fervent prayer before God. Not wavering in his faith. It could be translated this way. The supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its working. In other words, it gets something accomplished. Elijah, he not only prayed effectual and effective, but he prayed fervently. We actually get from the Greek word, we get our English word agonize. The word could be translated to strive, to fight, to labor fervently in prayer, to contend with an adversary, to endeavor to accomplish something, to wrestle earnestly in prayer. Do you get the picture of what Elijah and this man of prayer was like? Do you know the difference between just throwing up a prayer before you eat a meal? and what it means to get on your knees and to fervently pray before God, that you would petition God, that you would call upon God to move in the lives and the hearts of people in a situation. You see, that's what God is calling us to do. Pray fervently. Agonize in prayer. It's the same word actually that our Lord of our Lord in Luke 22:15 when Jesus said to his disciples it's with fervent desire I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer fervent desire what did that look like in our Lord I like what William Booth said The tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. 
Anyone who has tended a fireplace, fire knows that it will need to be stirred up occasionally. And maybe that's what we need this morning. As a church, God, would you stir my heart for prayer? Would you stir me up again? I used to pray more. I need to pray more. Stir me up, Lord. The fourth thing that I see of Elijah is that he prayed earnestly. It literally means that Elijah prayed with prayer. Elijah prayed with prayer. He prayed intensely when he lifted up his voice to the Lord. Paul, he finished up that spiritual armor in Ephesians 6.18 by saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying always. He also wrote in Philippians 4.6 to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, and you can underline that, Philippians 4.6, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer. We have a list that goes out on WhatsApp. There are many prayer requests that are hitting this church almost daily. When you see those come across, if you're not on WhatsApp, get on WhatsApp and you're going to see a chain of prayer requests that are coming across for people in this body and outside of this body. And we can pray. We can enter in and and come alongside one another in prayer. And God hears our prayers and God is working through our prayers. I think many of us have started off in praying for a person or a situation and then we saw no fruit. Didn't happen in the timing that we expected that it would. And we gave up. We stopped. God forgive me for not persevering in prayer. Not being diligent to trust that in your timing, God, you will do it. And until you tell me to stop praying, I'm going to continue. In closing this letter out, James gives some final words of exhortation. This final exhortation concerns a brother or sister who would, might wander away from the truth. Just like the children of Israel wandered from the truth. And God in that moment, brought this famine upon the land to bring His wandering people back to Him. We too, as Christians, can have a tendency to wander, to get off track. He says, and he starts with the word brethren. Do you see it in your Bible, verse 19? Brethren. It's the last of 15 times that James refers to them as brethren. He's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to you and I this morning. 
If anyone among you wanders or is led astray, is another way we could put it, from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him, and the him there is somebody that knows the Lord, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see, we like the Lord redeemed us and the Lord reconciled us and the Lord... We also are in the business of bringing about reconciliation and redemption. We're, we're tools that God can use with one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to pray for one another. Proverbs 10.12 says that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. You see, it's an issue of love. If we find ourselves talking more about people that have strayed than we are about praying for them and seeking them out to see them restored, you see, love covers sin. It doesn't want to expose it. It doesn't want to gossip about it. It simply wants to see that brother or sister come back into that place where they should be. Proverbs 17.9, He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. You see, we need to stop talking and we need to start praying. And there's a lot of people in church that do a lot of talking and not a lot of praying when they see a brother or sister that has gotten off track. So what do we do? What should we do? What's our responsibility as Christians? Well, we already read that James says to the elders of the church, if somebody is in a sin or somebody needs restoration from backsliding in the church, then pray. Call for the elders of the church and have them pray. Anoint with oil. And he really connects physical and spiritual aspects to that praying and that anointing. Samuel the prophet and judge saw that prayerlessness for those who had turned aside from the Lord was more of a was not so much a, ne- a neglect, excuse me, but it was a sin. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 20, then Samuel said to the people, "Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet you do not turn aside from following the Lord." But serve the Lord with all of your heart and do not turn aside for then you will go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great namesake because it has pleased the Lord to make you His people. And then look what he says. He says, moreover, as for me, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. You see, Samuel saw it as a sin. That he would cease to pray for those that had gone astray. I think that we should also. God help us to love people. Love our brothers and sisters that are even in that place of struggle in their lives. 
Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 1, he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what we're called to do. If we see somebody overtaken by a sin, if we see him get off, seek to restore. Seek to mend. And that's what that word means, to mend like a, like a fisherman mending a, a broken net. Like a doctor who is setting a bone. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. If we would just do that within the church, those that are hurting, those that are struggling, those that are having a difficult time, come alongside. Let me pray for you. Let me be there for you. Let me help you through this time of struggle in your walk. In summary of these verses this morning, I wrote, a righteous man's prayers are effective, fervent, earnest, and consistent, and the result is much fruit. Also, God can use you in restoring a brother or sister who has wandered from the truth. Pray for that person. Seek to restore. And don't let them go. Don't let them go. I don't don't care how far off base you get. I want to see you return to the Lord. I want to see you get right because I know that my God is a God of restoration. He's a a God that wants to heal and forgive. I think it's been 17 studies through the book of James. We made it. I still don't know where I'm going to be next week, so pray for that. I had to get out of this one before I could think about the next. Now, I've been praying about it, but I don't have a a sure place yet. But one thing I know, I'll be in the Word of God next Sunday, Lord willing, unless we're in heaven with the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to have communion.